This week, uh, I, along with a lot of you, heard that Indonesia upped their count on the tsunami. And I think it's roughly around 220,000 people now have been lost to this uh, tsunami in that Pacific Rim area in Indonesia, India, Sumatra, that whole region in there. And I've been a follower of Jesus uh, since 1983, and I still ask two questions that I'm sure a lot of you ask in those kind of times. Maybe there are times on a global level like this, or maybe it's when something hits you, hard situation happens in your life, something negative. Uh, when hard things come in, you ask questions, where are you, God? And God, are you, are you really in control? Because you don't want to think that these things just are completely chaotic, that there's no control. Or, and God, are you really loving? And we sang about that in, in mo- many of the songs. Holy, holy, holy. And then it says merciful and mighty. Those two concepts. Merciful, meaning you care, you love, you really want our best. And mighty means you're in control of all things. You can handle anything that comes along. And the biblical answer to those questions are, is God really in control and is God really good? The biblical answer is yes. And yet you're faced with situations that always make you go, oh, what are you doing? How does this work, God? And, and, and situations like the tsunami, I, I don't know. I don't know if you came this week or if you've tried to answer that question. I don't know, but I do know this, that God always knows what he's doing. Or state it in a negative, double negative, God never does not know what he's doing. He always knows what he's doing. The Bible is full of stories of tragedy, situations in the history of the world where real Human pain and struggle have happened. And yet the whole Bible, the entire Bible proclaims that God is completely in control and he's an infinite God of love. And it's a radical concept. It kind of blows your brain. If you look even in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, one of the greatest stories there is the story of Joseph at the end of the the book. Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers. Don't get any ideas, uh, tricler kids. Yeah, the brother's gone. They sell the youngest guy into slavery. They sell Joseph into slavery. Joseph, bad enough being a slave or, or being bought up by someone, he, he finally gets his way up the, the ladder and then someone tells a, a fib on him. Potiphar's, or the wife of the, Potiphar, is that right? Yeah, Potiphar's wife tells a fib on him and he ends up going to prison for two years. Finally works his way out of that whole situation and he, at the end of his life he meets up with his brothers. Wow, what is going on today? Am I ringing through those or what? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> he, he meets up with his brothers, and you know what he could say? He could, at the end of his, later in his life, he could say to them, You dirty, rotten brothers. How could you sell me into your slave? I'm your, I'm your flesh and blood. What is up with that? doesn't say that to him. You know what he says at the end of his, of his journey here? And he's been through all this. He says in Gen- Genesis 50, verse 20, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. 
to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph, through this whole journey, he ends up being put in a position of leadership where he can save up grain because a famine's coming. And Joseph's perspective is, all of this is just God's way of getting me to where I need to be. Romans 8, 28, it's a remarkable verse. It's often overquoted. If someone's going through pain, I encourage you not to yank this one first. But it's true. I mean, it's maybe overquoted. I don't know if you ever can overquote the Bible, but it, it, sometimes it's overused. Romans 8, 28 says this. We know that in all things, all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. In all things, God is in control, and he's working for good. Don't get me wrong. God, God does not have a death wish for your life. He's the one, like I said before this morning, if you could feel the entirety of his love, your heart would pound out of its chest because he loves you that greatly. And yet, he takes you through hard times. He never, never wastes pain. And he never does not know what he's doing. He always does, but it doesn't seem that way in the midst of it. One of the things that God may be doing in these hard circumstances, one of the things, and I don't know always, but one of the things he may be doing is shaping you. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while while they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. That's one of the things that God is possibly doing when you're going through difficult things. He's training you. We're in a series right now called Church on Fire. It's a study of the early church after Jesus raises from the dead. He ascends up to heaven and then Christ in his physical body is no more on the earth. And now the church has to figure things out. We've just come to a halfway point. Chapter 14, 15 is about the half point of the book. And what has happened there is we're going to find from then on, we're pretty much going to follow the ministry of the Apostle Paul. From here on out, it's all about Paul. Paul all the time. Let me just say something here right now. We're going to watch. We're, we're just going to start Paul's second missionary journey, and then we're going to do his third, and then we're going to get him in prison, and he's going to go to Rome. If you're at all interested in reaching people who have not yet heard the name of Jesus, or perhaps you're interested in going to places where they don't have as much of a gospel witness as we do in this culture, there are five churches in, I mean, if you're a good spitter, you could probably get all five right here on this street, and that's good. There should be five more. I'm all for it. It's great. But you can go like hundreds of miles in some countries and you won't get five churches. If you're all interested in that, I beg you, prayerfully read the book of Acts. We talk about a church on fire. Maybe God would get a hold of you and say, go to Indonesia. 
where there's very little gospel witness. Go to Sumatra, that, that island that got hit by the tsunami. I think it's 85, 90% of the people are not followers of Jesus, are, are, are committed to the Muslim religion, which is totally opposed to Christianity. Read the gospel, or excuse me, read the book of Acts. This week we're going to watch Paul. He's going to step out. We're going to watch him get tested. We're going to watch him get I don't know if it's discipline, but he's going to go through something that's going to make him be a different person. So if you have your Bible open, why don't you open it up to Acts chapter uh, 16. While you're flipping there, let me remind you a little bit from Acts chapter 9. When, when Paul gets called into this work of being a person who's going to spread the message of Jesus around, this was his... Uh, mission statement given by the Holy Spirit. This is Paul's mission statement. He, gi he gives it to a guy by the name of Ananias. If you remember him, he was the one who went and, 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 and met Paul and prayed for him and the, he was able to see again. The scales fell, uh, something fell from his eyes like scales. It says this, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man, speaking about Paul, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. And you're thinking, yeah, that sounds really cool. Then the next verse, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And I think we're going to see some of the sufferings of Paul today. It's, it's indirect. It's not direct. It's not specifically in the passage. I think it's clear that he is going to suffer. Let me remind you what, where we're at so far. They're just going to set out on their journey. Him and his buddy Barnabas, where they said, let's go. Let's go out to another journey and, and, and strengthen those churches that we started before. Let's go, um, let's go uh, strengthen them. And as they're going, there was a disagreement over who to take. Barnabas wanted to take his cousin Mark. And Paul didn't because Mark had deserted him on the first trip. And you've got to remember... Paul and Barnabas are very different people. We looked at this last week. Barnabas is just your, he's your loving kind of guy. He's a coach. He's the kind of guy you'd want to go to. And I'm sure he had a huge belly laugh. Ha, ha, ha. Oh, come here. And he'd hold you. And one of those kind of guys. Paul, I'm sure, was, you know, a nice guy. But he wasn't like that. Paul, if you remember, we looked at Paul before he was a follower of Christ. And it said that he went after the church. He had he breathed out murderous threats. Remember that phrase? He breathed out these threats. And he was just a, a nut. And he, he would do anything he could. He, once he got down in Jerusalem, he went to the high priest and said, Give me more letters. I want to go to another city. And so he goes to Damascus to, to trash the Christians and arrest them and do whatever he can to make their life miserable. And he gets there and he meets, on the way there, he meets Christ. Christ appears to him, and his life is turned upside down. Immediately, he starts to preach about Jesus. So much so that the, the, the Christians who are in Damascus are like, who is this guy? We, we heard he was coming to, to kill us, and now is he one of us, or what's going on? And Barnabas comes and, and, and vouches for the guy and, and says, yeah, he's one of us. And if you remember, the, just to look at who Paul was and how determined and you know, he called him a bulldog last week. There's a scene in Acts chapter 14 where, where he's stoned and he's drug outside the city. And the brothers gather around him, it says. And in Acts 14, let me see, 19 and 20, it says they gather around him. And as soon as that happened, Paul gets up. And what does he do? He goes back into the city. This guy was a bulldog. So you got bulldog and ha, ha, ha. You got these two people. And they made a great team, but they made a volatile team too. And what happens, we saw last week, is 
They come to an irreconcilable difference and they go their separate ways. So Paul heads out. That actually, end of chapter 15, describes the situation with Paul and Barnabas. In verse 39, it says, They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. He came to Derbe and then to Lystra. Okay, let's take a look. I got a pointer today. woo Now, this is the first journey. It's a little different map than I've used before. It's a little easier to see. But it's horribly inaccurate. So, but... <laughs> Get one. You can read it, but it's not. This is north going this way. See, that's one of the bad things here. Jerusalem's way down over here. And so they're here. This is their first journey. And this is pretty much where, where uh, um, the journey that Barnabas and Mark are going to go. Paul is going to go up this way. Up, we're going to see a map later. I'll get to another one. But he's going to go. This is the area that they covered their first time. And those locations are not in the perfect, perfect spot. That's where they're going. And they're, they're starting out. And this is called his second, Paul's second missionary journey. And that's where we're headed now. Paul is on his second missionary journey. Let's pick it up in the second part of that verse. 16, second part. Let me just read it so it makes sense in a sense. Verse 1. He came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. <laughs> what? What is, what is Acts 15 all about? Go back to Acts 15. It's on the screen here. Acts 15, verses 1 and 2. Some men came down from Judea and to Antioch, and we're teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem and see the apostles and elders about this question. Paul is livid about the issue of circumcision. No, 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 no. You don't need to be circumcised in order to be a follower of Jesus. You don't need to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. You don't, no, 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 no. Oh, I got an idea. I'll find Timothy and I'll circumcise him. <laughs> what? Why, why would he do that? Paul hates it. And even the apostles said that's not true. Remember, the, at the end of Acts chapter 15, they give this letter, and the letter says... The only thing we're telling them to do is instead, verse 15, verse 20, instead we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from meat of strangled animals, and from blood. That's it. If you want to be culturally sensitive to us Jewish people, Gentiles do this. People who are non-Jewish just do this stuff. You don't have to do that other stuff. In the church, it'll be okay. In our education hour class, we're studying the book of Galatians. I don't want to give it away, so if you're in the education hour, kind of, ha, na, na, na. But the issue is going to be circumcision. Should, should we get circumcised? Should we be a follower of the Jewish ways? 
And Paul is adamant in this letter. No! Galatians 2 verse 3, Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. In chapter 5 of Galatians, it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is required to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. But by faith, we eagerly await through the Spirit the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, nor, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. He writes the Corinthians and he says, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands is what counts. What? are you doing? What is Paul doing circumcising this guy? I think the key to it is in the end of that section. If you look again at Acts 16 verse 3, it says, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. Paul would look at Timothy in the eyes and say, you know what, you do not need to go through the Jewish rites. And, and most Gentiles didn't. They would stay on the fringe. They called themselves God-fearers for the simple reason that circumcision as an adult is simply painful. It is. I mean, I'm trying to be crass here, but I mean, it's not the most pleasant thing. And so... They'd stay outside. They'd say, no, we'll kind of be adherents. You know, we'll vote Democrat, but we're not joining the you know, Democratic Party, thank you, because there's quite an initiation right that we don't want to go through. And Paul says to, to Timothy, you don't need to go through that. But you know what? This land where we're going, there's a lot of Jews there, and this is going to be a major stumbling block for them, and you're not going to have a platform to speak with them at all. Timothy, I'm going to ask you, not because it'll make you right with God. You're already right with God just because of Christ. Timothy, I'm going to ask you, would you be willing to be circumcised just for your audience so it's not a problem for them? In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul explains, he says, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. So I myself am not under the law so as to win those under the law. You got rights as a Christian. You got rights as a Christian. There will come times if you want to be involved in leadership in a church or in a Christian group or whatever, you're going to have to put those, you're going to have to put those rights aside and say, you know what? That's okay for other people, but I'm not going to do that. Why? Because it's going to cause other people to stumble. And you know what? That's not the point. I don't want to sit here and argue about some little thing I want you to get the big picture of Jesus. And because of where I'm going, <clears throat> I need to do that. Some of you in this room, it could very well. Neil tells me that 10 of you are thinking of cross-cultural ministry. Some of you may be thinking of going in an area where you're going to a primarily Buddhist area. You may need to give up meat. 
You may need to give it up. Are you free to do that? Sure you are. But if you want to have an impact in that culture, you may need to say, you know what, I'll never eat another Big Mac as long as it comes. You may need to do that. And that's what happens here. He sets aside his rights for the benefits of others. Let's pick it up in verse 4. <clears throat> as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. Paul was good with the decisions, those four things they said, those food restrictions and sexual immorality that would be culturally keeping us, I mean, so Jews and Gentiles can get along. He was fine with that. <clears throat> Verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. All right, let's show you the map here of the second. Okay, this is, again, north is going to go kind of this way. So that's why it's not the greatest. But... <clears throat> Okay, they start over here in Antioch, and they go up over, and this is where they pick up Timothy in this area, and they're traveling around up in here, the northern part of what would be called Galatia. This is why this map is not very good. Galatia actually goes from here, and it comes down all the way over in here. So it's, yeah, whatever. But it kind of gives you the, it's real easy to read, so it's a good one. You're going up in this region right here, and they're somewhere up in here right at this point. And all those churches, it says in verse 5, were strengthened in the faith. Paul was not interested in just being a hit-and-run guy. He'd go back and encourage, and he'd stay there for quite a while. Perhaps he'd even leave team members behind to strengthen that church. Okay. The churches are strengthened, but look what happens to Paul. Verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. You've got to see this on the map for it to make any sense. And again, this isn't the greatest map because it doesn't show where Bithynia is. They're right around in here now. This, this region up in here would be Bithynia. Okay? Asia would be this area right down in here. Ephesus would have been in Asia, even though it's marked over here on this kind of lame map. But anyway, so here's the deal. There's somewhere over in here. And it says they tried to go down here, perhaps to Ephesus. And it says that they were kept, in verse 6, they were kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word. Now, we don't know what that looks like, but somehow Luke, the author here, makes it real clear that somehow God is doing this. God is preventing them from doing what they want to do, and they want to go south. So they can't go pretty much straight south. They've already been... East, they came, from, they came from the east, so they don't want to go back east. And then they say, well, I got an idea. If we can't go, if we can't go, uh, we don't want to go east. We already been there. We can't go south. Let's go north, kind of northeast here. If you go north too far, you're going to be very wet. So they want to go north. And verse 7 says, when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Paul wants to go to Ephesus or somewhere down here. And it says the Holy Spirit stopped him. So he says, all right, well, I want to go this way. And it says the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. Paul's got to be thinking, you know what, I quit. I just quit. It's hard enough. I got my own countrymen who hate me. I got these Christians who are breathing down my neck because they think I'm some kind of radical. I have to have Barnabas come along and vouch for me. 
I, I'm on these things. That, this is, there's no, you know, Hilton of northern Galatia here. I'm staying out in the middle I got, of nowhere. I got bandits coming after me. I go sleepless nights. I'm hungry. I, all I want to do is go north, and God, now you're stopping me. All I want to do is go south, and you're stopping me. That's it. All right, this is it, God. This is the deal. You let me go, or I quit. You tell me where to go right now, or I'm done. Many of us are like that. Many of us are like that. Going through life, and we say, God, I just want direction. What? It didn't come in the four seconds of my silence? I want direction, and I want it now. Should I go this major or this major? Should I marry this person? Well, there's no other options. But, you know, <laughs> what do you want me to do, God? And we sit there and we wrap ourselves, we get caught in analysis paralysis and we say, God, you're going to speak. We start demanding of God. We start saying, God, you were going to speak to me or I quit. I'm not in this soul. I just kind of get, get, you know, words from you whenever you want to give them. I want them now. What does Bulldog Boy do? Does he say that? No, Bulldog Boy does not say that. Look what he does. Look what he does. Verse 8, I love this. So they passed by Amicia and went down to Troas. Go to the map, the next one there. They're out of options. Can't go north. Can't go northeast. Stop. Can't go south. Already been east. Can't go that way. It's water. Ah, let's go to Troas. Many of us just need to go to Troas. Many of us have had God stop other things and you need to say, you know what? Uh, I'm just going to go to Troas. When we started Hope Community Church, uh, I had a philosophy of ministry paper that I'd put out and some people really picked it apart. They said, oh, that'll never work and you'll never be funded. They've always been right on that one. But... The, the, all these problems with what it would be to try to do a church by the University of Minnesota and trying to reach younger people. Ah, there's all these problems with it. <clears throat> and I thought to myself, I said, you know, you're, you're, every one of your things is right. I, I totally agree with you. Ah, it's right. You know, those are all right. Probably won't work. But here, here was the analogy that I, that I saw as we started this church was, I'm out in the ocean and what I'm seeing is I'm seeing a whole generation of people who are drowning. They're being swept away by all kinds of things. Anything but God. And they're drowning. And I don't know the best strategy, but I do know this. I've got to do something. I don't know if this is the best thing, but here, take this. And I throw something out for them to grab onto. We started Hope Community Church thinking, was it the best possible thing? No. But was it something? Yeah. This church could be called Troas Community Church. <laughs> because we don't know what we're doing. It seems like God's closed every door, but we take a few steps here and he's not closing this one, so let's keep going. Many of you need to do that. Many of you need to take some steps out where God's allowing you to go. Now, when they get to Troas, guess what? God speaks. Verse 9, 
During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. God speaks, but not until, not until they get to Troas. I guess we're going to Troas. And you go there and think, maybe this is where I'm supposed to be. And you get there and then God says, oh no, I'm so glad you got here. Guess what? I shaped you. I disciplined you. I put you through that hard thing. Guess why? So you'd be ready to go and do what you're going to do next. I look at some of the major decisions I've had to make in my life and I've begged God. I've begged God. When I first went on staff with the Navigators, which was my first Christian missionary ministry experience in 1987, I recall going into a hotel. I spent the night there and I was begging God, show me, show me, show me. Should I do this? Shouldn't I? What, should I go and be a teacher? Should I go into this opportunity with the Navigators? And you know what I got? I got nothing. I didn't hear anything. The thing that I heard at the end of that time was, well, what do you want to do? It's like, what do you mean what do I want to do? I don't want to do what I want to do. I want what you want me to do. He says, well, what do you want to do? Well, I, th I think I'd like to go on staff with the Navigators. Great, sounds good, let's do it. And we did it. That led to this some years later. I don't know, maybe this is our Macedonia. I don't know exactly how that works. But I'm saying in your leading of your life, know that God often does that. He seems like he's silent, and then he gets you exactly where he wants you. He says, okay, great. You had to go through that process of wrestling with me. Paul calls it, or Luke describes it as two times being stopped by the Holy Spirit. You know how painful that would have been for Paul to try to do something, and God stopping him, thwarting his efforts? Now what's the result of all that? Verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. It doesn't stay in Troas very long at all. Concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Just a little side note here. Does anybody notice one neat thing about this? Anybody? What's the new thing in that sentence? Yeah, very, who said that? Man, that was awesome. I got a shiny dime for you. Nope, I don't today. Uh, take a rain check. Um, yeah, we got the word we and we got the word us. Where'd we go? Us. Luke, the author of the book, is along for the ride starting at this point. It's pretty cool. So we pick, that's a side thought. He sees the vision and he leaves from Macedonia. Why don't you go to the map here one more time? Go, oh, I think it's ahead too. Either way, doesn't matter. So what he's going to do is he's going to, he's here at Troas. Macedonia is this whole region over in here. And he's going to go over here. And guess where he's going to go? Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, kind of come down to Athens in Greece. And Corinth, six books of the New Testament were written to those churches. We wouldn't have six books of the New Testament if Paul didn't go to Troas. He goes to Troas. Let me give you three huge lessons for us. Number one, Last week I was wrestling, 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 wrestling with, I loved the, the passage of Paul and Barnabas and how they split up and I, I really enjoyed it. But I was thinking to myself, how do, what's, the, what's to apply to this? I thought, racked my brain all week. Not three or five minutes after worship, I was standing right there and it, it hit me. Ah, that's it. But for some reason the Lord kept it from me before. I do think that Paul and Barnabas split, splitting up was not necessarily a good thing. 
I think them being, get, getting a point of irreconcilable differences was not the way, if Jesus were there, that he would direct them to be. But know this, point number one, God is way bigger than your mistakes. God is way bigger than your mistakes. Paul is gonna, or God is going to use the Apostle Paul like you can't believe. God is way bigger than your mistakes. I, I got a little, little free gift here this morning. Stop beating yourself up about your mistakes. Because God's way bigger than your mistakes. Okay? I got a symbol over here on the right that's for all my mistakes. Okay? God is way bigger. Here's proof. I think Paul messed up. History tells us I think Barnabas was right. Mark turns out to be a good guy. You know what? Holy Spirit's still speaking to Paul. Holy Spirit's still leading him. God is way bigger than your mistakes. Second thing, if you want to be a leader in the kingdom, you're in for a life of sacrificing your rights. Sure, you can declare, I have a right to this. I have a right for you to treat me this way. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. But if you want to be a leader, you're in for a life of pushing aside your rights, your preferences for the benefit of other people. And a third lesson I think this morning is when God is silent, it does not mean that he is not there or that he isn't leading you. Proverbs 16, 9 says, In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. People of hope, you are being led this morning. I talk to many, many of you who feel like you don't know what your next step is. You are being led. Many of you need to go to Troas. Let's pray. God, I praise you that you are larger than our mistakes. I'm a poster child for grace, and I think of the mistakes I've made in all the relationships I have, have uh, just starting with my own family, and I just praise you that you're a much bigger God than my mistakes. I think of this church, and, and sure, there's things we've done right, but there's a lot of things we've done wrong, and God, I praise you that, God, that you are much bigger than our mistakes. We don't worship our success or even our failures. God, we worship God. And so, Lord, uh, we, it's somehow easy for us to do that on a big level, but it's real hard for us on an individual level. God, I pray that right now we would stop worshiping the fact that we make mistakes or don't. We just lay it all at your feet. God, too, I know in this room there are many people who feel like you are, are being silent right now, that you may seem like a million miles away and perhaps they're even maybe going through some, your word talks about discipline. God, I pray that you would lead them. You'd give them the courage just like Paul did to say, you know what, we're going to Troas. I pray, God, that the people in this church would take the courage to say, you know what, I'm not hearing clearly, but it seems like you're leading us this way. And then step out in faith. God, I pray for people in this room whom right now might, you might be sparking an interest in them to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to places 
light years away from here, both culturally and geographically. And as a result, God, they're going to need to sacrifice their rights. They're going to need to get circumcised, just like Timothy, whether it's not circumcision, there'll be other issues, but they're going to have to lay those things aside for the benefit of others. And God, I pray that you'd help us to be those kinds of people that are others-focused. God, there are people in this room right now for the first time in their lives they are wondering whether or not you're even there at all. Would you just show yourself to them? Would you allow them to respond to you and move towards you? Whether it's a small step or a big step today, whether it's just acknowledging, God, you're there. Or whether it's saying, Jesus, I want to be a follower of you today. I want to mark that day and trust you today as my Lord and Savior. God, the, the, the people in this room that, that are at that point, would you allow them today to make a step of faith towards you? We just pray for everyone, God, that you'd move in us and cause us to be people who step out and trust you no matter where we're at. We ask this in Jesus' name.